Caroline speaks with Chance Hart, a freelance colored pencil fine artist. He is now one of few surrealism artists using primarily colored pencils. So I had a, a video session, like a video yoga session. It was like the oh. first one. So I was hurting. Like, I'm, I'm hurting pretty bad. But other than that, it's good. Well, How are you? Good. I'm hanging in there. I was an hour early because time zones fucking suck. <laughs> I was in here like, wait, that's like an hour so it's like, so it's my eight o'clock. So his seven o'clock is my eight o'clock. So then, okay. But no, it was my nine o'clock. So I was sitting here. I was like, it was eight, eight, like 13. And I was like, where did I, did I get something wrong? And then I had to Google. And I'm like, oh, I forgot. Arizona is its own little Oops. world. Yeah, we, we don't, we don't uh, subscribe to your guys' time switches. Well, you know, I really wish we would subscribe to Arizona's like, plan with that whole thing because fuck losing an hour gaining an hour and fucking my whole sleep cycle Not everyone. kids up they passed it in congress uh, apparently they passed it in congress that uh we're getting rid of the time zones yes your wife is the best right now for telling me this news i'm so excited we're <laughs> gonna look it up just to make sure yeah i know i appreciate that because that's exciting i hope so I don't know, being Texas, though, we like to do things our own way. We'll, we'll, we'll hold time hostage with all of our guns. That's funny. We're at in Texas. I graduated high school in Houston. Oh, you did? I'm originally yeah. from Lubbock, but I live in Dallas now. Oh, nice. Dallas area. I'm in North Fort Worth. So That's, that's fun. Houston. That's a big old city. Gives me a fucking yeah. heart attack every time I drive through there. Yeah, we used to go, well... I was gonna say I used to go through there a lot, but I used to fucking live there. So, yeah. <laughs> Have you been? They passed legislation that would make daylight savings time permanent starting 2023. Yeah, 2023. Oh my god, I love your wife right now. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate you. You just made my day. <laughs> and we'll put that in the podcast so that way everybody knows this information. It's valuable information. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be great not having to sit there and forget to turn my clocks back like I do because, you know, you get it. Like ADHD scroll brain. We're just like, we'll be late everywhere or we'll be on time everywhere and our clock and our car will never change. Yep. Just stays. Really, really, really. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, in wait mode. If I have an appointment for something, I get stuck in wait mode for like an hour, two hours. Yeah, they call it ADHD paralysis and I do that too. Yeah, like, I've been I, I wasn't able to complete for like anything an hour. Today. Just like, yep. I got stuff coming up. <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, I was late diagnosed. I was diagnosed at 36 years old. I'm 38 now. So it's been a learning curve. But it, it was so great having that diagnosis because like growing right. up, it was like, she's smart, but she's lazy. She's brilliant, but she just, if she would just apply herself more. And it's like, they don't understand like that's the thing is like I could never explain it because I'm sitting there around other neurotyp like neurotypical kids and I'm right. sitting like well, how are they doing it and then I can't do it and then it sets me up for like this complete like mental and nervous breakdown because I'm sitting here like I I guess I'm fucking stupid because yeah. I can't do what these kids are doing or I can't do it as well or as fast or whatever and then when I got diagnosed I was like oh 
Well, that all makes sense because basically, you know, all of us atypical brains are starting like halfway back from the starting line while everybody else is on that starting line. So by the time we make it to the starting line, once the race starts, they're already halfway around the track. And we're just like in perpetual try to catch up mode. And it's ridiculous. I was like, yeah. So you had that. My ass in special ed left me there until I graduated. I, I, I graduated. Yeah, I thought I was stupid the entire time. I'm a nuclear engineer now. That's see, and they didn't like well because we're old enough now. Because like you, you're what 33, right? 35, 36. Five. Okay. Like so your bio wasn't updated because it said 33. So y'all need right. to that. But but we, I mean, we were part of that generation where, I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like for people you know, further back with the lobotomies and things like that and electric shock. I mean, even electric shock therapy is still going on in some states, but I mean, I I can't imagine because like we had such a hard time struggling because there was no label, there was no words. And the only representation of things like autism or ADHD were always just the extreme presented stuff. And then it was, you, you you did that you you put them in you labeled them as special needs and just threw them kind of like in a school on their own or yeah. you know if it was bad enough into a facility on their own and it it's I'm sitting here like it's amazing because I've got um two kids that are on the spectrum we're gonna get a third one tested but I'm sitting here like you know they go to school and intermingle with all the rest of the kids they're not like in their own little separate program and that's where they're at Right. Or anything like that. And the awareness is so much better now than it was for when we were little in the acceptance because we were the weird yeah. kids. Yeah. Like we were the damaged kids. We were the ones that nobody wanted to be friends with because we were not normal. Yeah. And it sucks. So, yeah, I was either way too fast and loud or like the quiet kid in the corner. Yeah. One or the other. There was no, no in between whatsoever. Right. And then, like, you didn't have that filter. Like I didn't have a filter because I was in between those things. And so, but then whenever I was like really loud and boisterous, I was saying some of the dumbest things, like, because I don't, I didn't have the ability to filter out like, okay, maybe I shouldn't say anything and everything that pops into my mind. It was just, this is what I'm thinking. So out with it, you know? Um, So I'm assuming that that sort of thing in your life kind of like, affected i'm assuming it, it had to have affected you because it affected me so how old were you officially diagnosed um i was older after high school right like, so you were yeah. late diagnosed too yeah uh, yeah yeah actually it was well after the military really like, officially yeah wow how yeah. has that been kind of like a life-changing thing like for you to you know, honestly, uh, not really. I had a feeling, right? Like I had friends. I don't know. I thought I was stupid all the way through high school and then getting out. And then I don't know what I, I started advancing through jobs like really fast. You know what I mean? The minute I got out of high school and the, the school situation. Um, and then I got into the military right after that. And the way that is structured was right. Now it's really good for people with you know, neurodivergencies. So, right. yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I, I think, because I, I struggled all throughout school, 
But then it was really funny because I went to Lubbock High and they had like block scheduling, which was great because, you know, when you nowadays, if you have those supports in place, you get like extra time to to do paperwork and, you know, turn in papers and stuff. So you get like you're supposed to get like a quarter or something of extra time that is presented. Right. Since it's like so you get that extra time. And I was struggling so hard to keep up but when we went to the the block scheduling I noticed I was making A's in school just because I wasn't so overwhelmed and I was able to get everything done because I had that extra time. So like I would do right. a homework for the next day and I was always like, exactly. I had that extra time. Um, and that's when I kind of recognized that maybe something was going on, but I wasn't sure because yeah. all throughout, you know, junior high and elementary school, it was just a struggle, you know? And I remember in junior high, I kind of just gave up at one point. Like I did the work, I just wouldn't turn it in. I made a 17 in art. So like, I mean, like, how can you do that? I did. Yeah, yeah. I failed the only art class I've ever taken. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not like a little failed. Right. So like a, you made a 17 fail. <laughs> like, I didn't bother with much of anything school-wise. Yeah. Um, I passed all the tests. That wasn't an issue. I just, I didn't bother with anything else. And they didn't really bother to make me do anything else. Cause I, I don't know. I've never been, I don't know. You can't tell me what to do. This, I'm the same way. Like, How did you fare in the military with that kind of mentality? Because like, I am that way. And that was like, one of those things that I was like, I could never join the military because I would get my ass ran every single day. Um, it, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I got ran every single day, especially like early on. Yeah. Um, between my mouth and not being able to be told what to do, right? Like, but I sneaky little things. I would get tattoos, right? It's just mm -hmm. below like my sleeve line, right? Or just above my neckline, you know, like, you know, just enough. Like I say, oops. <laughs> you know, like, I just, I, I don't. You can't tell me what to do. They said the tattoos have to be like the size of your hand, right? So I went and got a whole sleeve. Just, yeah. <laughs> Just to, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I am too. But I was sitting there like, I, I thought about joining because like I'm a big military family, Air Force on both sides. And right. my I was going to actually join. And then I ended up having a surgical need. And it would have, it kept me from going because like I had a basic ship update and everything. And then, you know, I had a surgical emergency medical need and they're like, well, nope, that disqualifies you. And I was like, okay, great. And then I was sitting oh, there thinking sucks. about it. Right. But I was sitting there thinking about it and I was like, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best idea for me because like, I would have, I would have like, they would have sent me home with money and been like, take her back, please. You know, we don't want her. No, like, I don't know. Boot camp is so structured. Like you'd hate it all the way through, but once you get through it, like, I don't know, it's, it is very much structured for like the the atypical brain, right? And that's what um, we need. Like, yeah, you, like you don't have to worry about what you put on every day. There's yeah. all a lot of those decisions are just taken away. You don't have to worry about it anymore, right? Right. So, I don't that know. plays into the executive functioning too, you know. And and that's how. Do you look at menus? Like, if you're going to a new restaurant, do you like look at a menu before you go and stare at it for like two hours to figure out what you want, so that way when you get there, you know what you want. I know exactly what I'm going to say well before I walk into the restaurant. 
Right. I do that too. I do that too. Because yeah. otherwise I get there and there's like so many choices. I freeze up and then I'm like, cannot process all of this. Can't pick, can't do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because my first time before, and this is way before I was diagnosed because Starbucks had just become a thing, right? So, uh, well, a nationwide thing. It's been a thing in Seattle for a while, in Washington for a while. But I remember walking into the Starbucks for the very first time to just order a cup of coffee. And it was the most harrowing experience that I had ever had in my life. I sat there and I was like, what in the, I just want coffee. Like, <laughs> you can't just go up there and be like, hi, I need a cup of coffee. Like, I have to be like, right? grande, bente, latte, you know, like all of this stuff. I was like, wow, that's way too many choices that right? you've done to me. My brain is, I walked out of there with no coffee and I was done with the day already. I was just like, this is it. I'm done. Fuck this. I'm going home. Yeah. So, um, do you think that a lot of like being atypical is what caused a lot of issues for you growing up that kind of prompted you into your art journey? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I, I was, I had a special kind of childhood. Um, I don't think I had a chance to begin with, to be honest with you. I don't, honestly, I was the only kid of like the town drunk in a small town. Right. And then I bounced back and forth between there and Houston, right, in an ultra ultra religious household there. Like Harry Potter is no shit witchcraft household. I did too. I did right? too. So yeah. okay. I get it. I get it. And see, that's the thing, it's like um I have I I, ra- I was raised in a very volatile home, broken home. Um and um I mean I bounced back and forth between my my grandparents. Um, every every uh, other weekend because it was my dad's visitation but my dad was gone so they just took over that visitation for him but I mean I I've I've got lots of like I got mental illness on one parent and I've got you know alcohol and drugs and then I have alcohol and some drugs with that other parent like I know that I went to the drug dealer's house when I was little like I mean there was some really messed up things (laughs) and in that yeah, it was like there was some really super religious things. And I think that I leaned really hard there for a time in like religion, just because it was like the only stable thing, because it was always with my grandparents, so we would go to church. And it was like the only stable thing that I had um, until I had like an awakening. And I was like, okay, wait a second. Hang on a second. Like, you know, that like, wait, we're pretending to eat that dude. Like, right? that's fucking, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> right, right. And you, but you have that whole, like, and, yeah. I think, I, and I had that, and it was just like, okay, you know, all right, cool. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's great. But it was, my mom was so back and forth with things because, you know, we used to trick or treat and do Halloween stuff um, when we were really little, and I remember that. And then I remember one year, she was like, no, we're not trick-or-treating this year. It's the devil. And I'm sitting here like, okay, because, like, we've been trick-or-treating every other year before that. You know, and we'd watched Fantasia. Mickey Mouse with the sorcery was the devil, so I couldn't watch that anymore. But I would sit there, and I would look out the window watching all the trick-or-treaters walk by while my mom had in the living room. We only had one TV in the house, and it was a smaller TV. But she had, like, just evangelical preaching on it and TBN, yo. yeah and i'm sitting here like that's what i had to listen to and deal with for halloween it was very hot and cold so yeah. it was never i never knew what was going on because then we were able to start dressing up for halloween again a few years later and it's like 
but you know, when she, whenever, you know, my, my uncle is a doctor and he told me what was going on and, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, with that piece of the puzzle, this manic up down, you know, behavior kind of makes sense now, but I mean, it does not make for a very good, um, stable place for raising kids at all. No, no. Um, yeah, we had like water, you, Y2K, remember Y2K? Yep. My closet was the water closet. We had so much water stacked up in our closet. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we were. It's like always these funny, like I'm so glad that you're my age because you get all of these things. I sit there and I talk to people about Y2K and the breakout and they're like, what is that? Like my kids, I make sure that they know, like I make sure that they're aware. Like their first phone was a flip phone because I wanted them to feel the pain of having to hit the button three times just right? to get a T. You know, and take forever to text a message. And then that way they would appreciate their non-flippy phone phones. Because right? I'm sitting here like, man, no. Like I had the Nokia brick phone for like the longest time. And I Dude, I'm a snake expert. See? Yeah. Like yeah. The, and the brick, I used to play brick all the time. I was like, I'm doing good with this, you know. And they're like, what is what, right? are, what are these games you're talking about? And I was like, okay. Let me, let me just tell you, we're that old, okay? We were around before internet was, like, in homes and cool. And yeah, we had to I keep my old Nokia around just in case I need to, you know, in case I lose my hammer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, man, you can run that thing over and it'd be, it'd be working. Hammer in some screws or something. Yeah. So with your, um, and I, I, I'm really kind of, I'm excited because it seems like we have a lot of things that are very similar and very in common. Like, we had a lot yeah. of the same experiences. Yeah, right. So was, was, okay. So was the drawing part of that coping with all of the back and forth and everything or? Yeah. So, um, obviously, right. Um, uh, my dad being where we were, not a lot of parents were like, Hey, you should go hang out with that guy's kid. Right. Right. So I, I spent a lot of that time alone and then we had everything in Houston. Like I, I went back and forth a lot, so I never really had a chance to make friends right in Houston and then even when I did they were like super churchy friends right. and I didn't want to bring them like back to the house I had a couple friends that would come but like they were all within the same circle right I was very isolated within the same group right um so I I needed friends I guess I needed an outlet somebody to listen to me I guess I don't know so I did it myself and then, I mean, my mom ended up marrying some guy and then leaving for long periods of time. Um, and I was like in charge of my brother. So I couldn't spend a lot of time right leaving. Right. Um, so I, it's not like, you know, even high school. And then from there, I was straight to work. Right. I full time job, right? Straight, like in high school and then right out of high school, I went straight to work. And I just never had a, I don't know, I traded all of my my social skills for hand-eye coordination, fine motor control. I, I think that's impressive because like, and for me, I, I dived into books, which I'm a writer now. So it kind of like, it makes sense. The path flowed, right. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I just, I read all the time because of that. Like you, you kind of get set up for social awkwardness and failure whenever you're raised in situations like that, because there is that stigma. Okay. Well, you don't want to mess with that person. You don't want to talk to that person because of, you know, things that are going on. Like 
I would have, I had some friends, but they never were able to come over to my house. They never understood why they couldn't come over to my house. And I never understood why I, well, I guess I didn't ask why they just never came over. Like, I don't guess I was super aware that there was anything wrong in that sense. Like I knew it was happening at home, but I don't, I didn't talk because that's something that you don't talk about. You know, back then it was like, you don't talk about that to anybody. And um, especially if you're in a religious family, because boy, howdy, if a word gets out that this person is a drug addict, alcoholic who beats people, that's going to look bad on our family. So it was very, everything was hush, hush, not talked about. No, the abuse wasn't talked about, nothing, Um, which only just keeps, keeps us there in that, you know, like, because we're not talking. So like anybody that could have helped us, we're not we're not advocating for ourselves. Yeah. I remember, I remember being asked by teachers, like I, I, I would show up to school like late, you know, tears in my eyes, like far too old for kids to be showing up late with tears in their eyes. Right. Right. And teachers asking me like, are, are you okay? Like, are you okay? And just, yep, I'm fine. I'm fine. And like moving on with life, you know? Like, yeah. And it's, it's hard too, because I had to learn how to, communicate and even today like I still struggle like I stay up in my head most of the time I I I text better than I do talking and I don't know why there's that whole breakdown but I think it stems from my childhood and just not talking about emotions you're not talking about how you're feeling so and you have no way and no no way to to feel you're not allowed to feel it so it's like just numb yourself you bury yourself and you bury it you push it down and and you go about life because that's just life I mean like what are you gonna do um so I I very much understand that draw to the um the arts and doing that because that's what ended up happening to me I started writing like poems and like my poems are terrible from back then because they're like all angsty poems like I hate you blah 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 you know but I mean, it was very dark and very painful things that I would write. So I find it interesting that, you know, we both kind of clung on to the the creative side to let let those out. So uh, I'm actually really dyslexic. So the whole books reading thing, (laughs) that was not for me. I Um, have a number dyslexia issue, believe it or not. Do you really? I see numbers backwards. And oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I do. So, like, I have to double. I have to double look because I'll look at one point and then I'll be like, okay, that's what it's all. And then I'll look down again. And it's like, like different number. <laughs> right. Like it's all the same numbers. They're just all kind of garbled up. And right. I actually worked at Sonic as a car hop for my first like official job. And Jesus. I took that. I took that job specifically just because I'd be handling money and I would be counting all day, so that way I could work on my seeing the numbers so I'm much better than what I was but I was my mom was we were um driving and she was having excited I had 2020 vision and she was wearing glasses so at night she would have me read the signs of like mileage and you know how far to the next town and stuff so I read them but she started noticing that I was reading the numbers backwards and things like that and she's like okay that's a little weird and I was like yeah I didn't realize and is it calculate or something is my Dyscalculia, mm-hmm. dyscalculia. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Why yeah. talking about it? She knows no, I, what it's called. I don't know. I suck at math. I suck at math yeah. because of it. But you know, um, but yeah, like so I can understand that. 
I can totally understand the like the reading bit and it being really difficult because like math was really hard just because I would be looking at the page right. and the numbers would be slipping, swippy swapping. And I'm like, okay, right. you know, like I, I went in <laughs> my, uh, this is, this is the part of the fun part of my childhood, but um, I ended up having to take uh, ninth grade again. Cause I, I was in ninth grade once. And, and then my mom was like, well, you have to take ninth grade again because you failed come to find out when I got my high school transcripts, I didn't fail. She just kept me back a year and there was no reasoning behind it. But um, I did take algebra one the first year. And then I, I, like, I made a 70 for the full year, barely passed. And then she's like, okay, well, you need to take algebra one again. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, I could have taken geometry and then just had it doubled, you know, doubled up on the right. credits. But, you know, so I took algebra one again, but I went in. That year, I went in every morning for tutoring, went to class, and then after school, I stayed for tutoring every single day of that entire year. And then it came to, like, the final exam for the year, and I, I was like, yeah, I got this. I'm nailing this. This is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock this because I felt prepared. And then I, I'm, like, one of the first people to turn on my test. I'm like, yes, I rocked this. And then my teacher, she's like, um, I need to pull you out into the hallway and talk to you about your test. And I'm like, oh, you know, like what happened? She came out and she was like, so you made a zero on your test, but because I know that you are working so hard, I'm going to help you. I can't give you 100. It'll have to be like an 80, but I, you got your positives and your negatives backwards. So if you just go and change your negatives and your positives, it'll be fine. You would have had a 100, but because I was seeing everything backwards, I got everything backwards and it's like, okay, it's a pain. So I well, at least they caught it. Like at least your teacher, right, reached out, did something for you. Yeah. Like they stuffed me in special ed. Said, "Well, we'll fucking see you, see you when you're famous." I guess I don't know. <laughs> was this whenever? Was this in elementary school or in high school that they? Yeah. Did that? So um, I I stayed kind of special ed like oh. all the way through, but again, I was bouncing back and forth. Right. You know, what I mean? you know how most people have to learn the presidents and all 50 states and the capitals and all that shit. I don't know any of that shit. None right. of it. I still don't know. Right. Like, um, there's a lot of things like that that I, they just didn't bother. Like, you know, a lot of the normal curriculum. I just didn't have to go about learning at all. Right. Because and you were so that actually robbed you of. Yeah, you know a lot of information just because they did that, which is a disservice to you. And I'm wondering if because I know a lot of smaller towns are like that. They're like, okay, well, we're gonna put you in the special education program. So that's why I was asking if you were originally put in the special education in the smaller town. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. I started early. That's where they stuck it to me. Like, I would not again. I was a town drunks kid. Right. And also struggling. So right. nobody was trying to deal with me, especially in a small town. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then when people started catching, because obviously my artwork is a little bit dark, right. people started catching it and they started sending me to doctors for it. So, yeah, I've seen psychologists over like the content of my artwork and then. After that, I learned how to hide my artwork and I'd get caught later on. And then they started sending me to preachers for it. I have uh, I have sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that was diagnosed as a demon, like an actual demon was trying yeah. to get me. Yeah. There was one so, inside of you. Like, How I, many exorcisms? Part of my, yeah. A lot of my artwork would happen at night, right? Because I didn't sleep. I'm right. scared of demons, right? I'm going to hell. Well, so, there's that. And then you've got the, you know, the, the, the added bonus of insomnia with being an atypical brain and ADHD yeah. and things like that. So your sleeping patterns are already off. Yeah. So, uh, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, my childhood wasn't fun. It wasn't awesome. I don't know where I was going with that, but that's how I ended up dark art. Mm. So they would never, send you to, to they would send you to psychologists and preachers because and like you know with the sleep paralysis thinking that you know you're like possessed and stuff. Um, how did that affect you? Uh, I you learned know? to hide it. I I would fill up my notebooks like late at night, right? Like um, when, when everybody else was sleeping, and then I just set them on fire when the notebooks would fill up, and I did that my entire life up until after I got hurt like in the military and lost the job after that because I started having back surgeries and I needed it to feed my kids basically. Right. Right. So out of necessity, it, it became yeah. something completely yeah, different. Yeah, but it's something like I was, I've been embarrassed about the fact that I made art all the time, most of my life. Right. Like, yeah. Well, and it doesn't help because like, I, I think if you had been more supported with all of that dark art, it wouldn't have felt shameful. It wouldn't have felt like something that you needed to hide and that it wasn't, you know, like, like it wasn't okay for you to do it every day. So, I mean, I, it, it, that is so traumatic. That is so painful to sit there and, and be ostracized for, you know, just sharing your emotions. Your it was like the one thing I had too, right? right. Like, yeah. So with that being said, how hard was it for you to kind of start making your art public? Because that was, that had to have been a wall for you to climb over, I would assume. Uh, it took my wife. I wasn't going to do it. Uh, we sat in the dark for a good bit. Uh, right. And I just shook, just couldn't, I don't know. Um, yeah, it wasn't easy. Yeah. Cause that's like, that's like the most vulnerable part of yourself at that point you know like yeah it's not regular art either right is i'm not copying photos off the internet right i i prefer to draw things like pain right um and that's so. that I, that's what that's one of the things that i really enjoy about your artistic style is it's kind of you can tell the surrealism like inspiration that you have in there with a lot of your stuff and i love surrealism but i also i love how you bring emotions that are very abstract and then you put them on paper making it tangible and I love seeing tangible emotions and feelings and thoughts like that because a lot of this stuff is like you're just kind of grasping at air you know like okay well what is happy what is pain what is agony what is rage and and then you get to actually see it from another person's perspective and that's beautiful to me um, and that's Thank why you. I love your work so I love your work because you can see all of the things and then you also see the duality in the meanings of things too which I find intriguing because 
it depends on your perspective as a person. Now, if you're looking for all of the different, you know, facets and perspectives and you'll see them, but at first glance, you're only going to see one side of it, but each side is going to be different that each person sees first. And um, I think that's very transcendent in that. So uh, well done, you know, Thank you. good, good job Thank bringing you so much. control out there. Thank you. I, I couldn't have done it. Making him bring his soul out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you kept drawing all throughout and then after high school, you joined the military. Um, and how did you, um, did you do a lot of drawings then too? Yeah. Yeah. I never stopped. Um, you spend so submarine, right. You spend a lot of time by yourself. I know, but you're getting kind of a cramped space, right? Right. And you got half the half the crew or a third of the crew is sleeping. Another third of the crew is like up and fixing things that are broken, right? And then another third is staying and watch, making sure everything is fine. So a lot of that watch time, you're alone. And then a lot of the time you're like sleeping, you're alone. And then being on a submarine, you have times where you can't do maintenance at all or fix things, right? Like you got to use quiet time. Um, so you have a considerable amount of time. It's either super boring or, oh, fuck, is submarine life. So nice. I had plenty of time then. Um, but when I would get caught, right, because you, it is a tight space, right? You're going to get snuck up on. It is loud most of the time inside the boat. Um, I would get super embarrassed about it, even, even when people would be like, wow. I mean, it's a submarine, right? Mm -hmm. They're all assholes. Every right. single one of us. We're assholes. We eat our young. We eat our own young. It's like <laughs> I feel like but, that's like something that's that's uh, around. That's like that's military, like broad range military right there. And it's it's one of those things like you can give each other shit, but each branch can't give the other person. Oh, yeah. shit. It's like it's it's like such a big like family, like a multi sibling family thing that goes on there. Yeah. So I can it, imagine. That's probably the best part about my military experience was uh you know other people a close group of friends especially submarine right there were there were 12 of us back there like in my division so anyway but when people even one of my real close friends would catch me right they would give me shit even good-natured shit like right. i would get really really embarrassed about it and it doesn't help because you understand that they're giving you shit, but it still like pokes at that sore wound that is still there yeah. from all of the pain that they don't even realize that they're hitting, right. you know? And that's, I have that, I had the same kinds of things happening to me and it, gosh, man, it is, it takes you to be like super self-aware and I don't know how much shit you have to like unpack. Like I can't even explain how much I'm still unpacking stuff. And I know I will be until I die, you know, because I sit there and something will happen. And I'm, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, what triggered me? What moment in my life is tied back to something like this? And then I have to sit there for days, weeks, months, sometimes introspectively thinking, trying to pinpoint that one singular moment. So that way I can work on that one thing. So I'm not triggered by all of those other things. And it's like, it's exhausting. And yeah. So the fact that, you know, and, and, you know, of course it didn't help having your friends sitting there doing things like that, even though that they didn't understand the gravity of what they were doing. Right. So, wow. 
That's crazy. So, okay. I know nothing about the Navy except for, I like the Thunderbirds and um, I mean, who doesn't, you got to watch Maverick and you got to watch all of that fun stuff growing up. Like my dad right. worked on the flight line for the um, air force base out at Reese there for a while in Lubbock. And he was, he was a jet mechanic. And so like my favorite thing is like air shows and stuff, because I'm like, man, that's like my child. That's like a favorite part of my childhood is going out on the flight line and, you know, looking at all of the, the trainer jets and stuff like that. And he'd right. take me up to the tower and, you know, you got that big old clear thing where you got those markers that are really highlighter pretty. And I would draw like right. flowers and stuff all over it, <laughs> you know, like totally right. not helping anything, but, um, but the Navy, I will admit, I know everything. I know a lot about all of the other branches, but the Navy, I have no clue about like none, nothing um, outside of like the Marines, which is a branch of that, but um, we won't tell them that. <laughs> but um so whenever you're on a submarine um how many guys actually will fit in a submarine uh our crew is well, well there are two different that we have right uh there's the bigger boats and the smaller ones i was on one of the smaller it's called fast attack okay um uh los angeles class okay. so there were around 120 ish people oh wow well it is a lot of people crammed in that tiny right. space i would never yeah. i would never have imagined that many people because like you watch hunt for red october or you watch u571 or whatever there is like maybe 20 people in that submarine and that's that's all you're seeing <laughs> so now well, that I'm like, like i said I mean, you have to have right it, it has right. to float 24 hours right those 20 people can't stay awake 24 hours, right, for months at a time. So Movies don't tell us that, though. Right? <laughs> Some of those people have to sleep. So <laughs> even though sleep. 20, right, Sean Connery 20, never 40, slept. What are you talking about? I mean, the math does add up, kind of, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. But, oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, that's good to know because, like, I'm sitting here. And, like, how does it feel to be underwater, like, deep? To be honest with you, once you're you're underwater and moving, it's no different than being up here, like really? on land. Yeah, you can't really even tell you're moving, honestly, <laughs> until you're like until you turn right because they they fly a lot like an airplane, oh, but okay. underwater, mm -hmm. right? So when you when you're doing fast turns and things like that, you can kind of feel it, but for the most part, unless you're doing a hard turn, you can't tell you're moving at all i feel lied to because like all of these other things i'm like i know that that's like and you know and my husband is you know was in the army and he worked with um i.e like he worked with the uh eod squad you know doing like investigations and stuff so oh, yeah. like hurt walker he's like that's not how that works this is not right so like i get a commentary on every single war movie that has ever been made he loves fury because that's pretty accurate but like but every other movie i don't have anybody that's in the navy around me that's like mm, that's not right that's not how that works we don't watch submarine movies down periscope <laughs> is the most accurate submarine movie on on the planet Which like down periscope like Are at the time serious? when I was in, like there were no women on my boat whatsoever. And I'm not sure if they are now. Mm -hmm. I hope so, but they definitely are on the boomers, the bigger boats. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the most accurate submarine movie 
out there. I would never right suspect now. that. Okay, I'll have to. Now I'm gonna have to go watch it again because it's been well, years. You got to be nuts to be on a boat, right? Like, well, yeah, that's why I was um, asking you. And that's that's what depicts it the best for the most part. Like, yeah. I mean, and I guess that's kind of that's fair because, like, the EOD guys. I mean, you're just you have to be nuts to go do that. Like, who wants to go sit there and look at an IED that's still alive and you know uh, try to defuse that thing? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, no, thanks, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna stay over <laughs> here with my weenie self. I'll let you guys do it. Yeah, but that is that's interesting. Okay, so. Um, you kept drawing through all of that and then you got hurt. Um, how long were you in the military service before you got hurt? I, seven years, something like that. Six, seven years. Okay. So I got really lucky. I, on, in one boat. So I started in Virginia, right. And then I did a deployment from there and I saw a lot of Europe and all of that. Then I did a home port transfer and ended up in Hawaii and then I did another deployment out of there. So I got... You went to Pearl Harbor. You were yeah. there for a bit. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I got... So, you know, really rough, like, tour. What would consider what would be considered a rough tour, right? With two deployments and then a home port transfer. We spent a lot of time at sea. Right. Um, but I, I got to see a large chunk of the world. That is so cool. Yeah. That is really cool. Let's so, like then... And then I got hurt, like, at the end of my tour. And it was, like, top part of my spine and my shoulder, right? And, like, all of it all the way down. So, so after, what happened, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, we were replacing a piece of equipment on, on the boat, right? And had to kind of wedge it up into place. And, like, I had a chain fall on one side, me and another guy with a rope on the other. And then as the thing rolled out, got hung up kind of rolled out of place my arm got caught between the rope and the piece of equipment oh my and just kind of took everything with it ah uh, yeah Gosh. so i spent two years well a year and a half or so out of off the boat but still like in the navy and doing things like that mm -hmm. um right getting worked on and yeah. yeah yeah and i know that's not a fun process either you know like uh, cause when my husband and, you know, like, thankfully, thankfully we weren't together. He was married before, uh, to somebody else during like a, a good portion of his service, the rest of it after he got injured. Cause that's, he met his ex-wife at Walter Reed. Um, but he was there after, you know, he got, um, blown up in Taji and, um, was taken to Walter Reed and he ended up having like a uh, fractured, I think C2, C, C3, C4, something like that. Uh, they were saying that if it was like a hair up more, it would have paralyzed him. But um, he, he was, he stayed in the, he changed uh, MOS into comms after that. And um, so he stayed in for a little while after as well before leaving and like, okay, I, I think I'm going to go to school and see some, do something different with my life because, you know, I can't keep doing this with my body being the way it is. So right. he, he kind of stepped back from that as well. So, um, what, uh, so you said that you, you know, you got hurt, you were in the military and I'm assuming you, uh, medically separated. Yeah. I retired. That. You retired. Yeah, medically retired from there. Um, 30%, right. Everything was fine, but I got a job right out of that. Like all of from here over 
mm-hmm. right? I was fine for the most part. Um, so I got a job at Intel pretty much right away. Like mm-hmm. I was on separation leave um, when I saw my first day at Intel. I was still on separation leave from the Navy. I, like right. it was all very well lined up. Right. <clears throat> and then I did seven years of that and the lower back injury, like all of that started catching up to me. And uh, we ended up with four back surgeries from that. And the last one being a fusion. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so the VA, they're taking care of you, right? Like you've got the right percentage of disability that they're giving I you. I do now. I do now. Good. Um, well, when all this started, I didn't, right? I was at 30% when uh, my lower back happened and I started having surgeries. But I was working at Intel, right? I Income-wise... You don't notice 30% disability from the VA. No. You know what I mean? Like not at all. Negligible. Not at all. It's like a pin, it's like a it's like a penny in a bucket if you have right. a family. Maybe if you were yeah. single, you might feel it, but no. And and like that's the thing too, is like um the thing that's really crappy is a lot of times they'll sit there and be like, Okay, well, we need to re-verify that you have this injury. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry. Like my neck is not going to unbreak. My back is not going to unbreak because, right. you know, of time. It's just going to get worse. It's going to be degenerative disc disease and, and stuff like that. That's, that's going to be happening. So yeah. I mean, they like to weasel their way out of it as much as they possibly can, if they can't help it. Like, okay, yeah. well, this isn't PTSD. Your headaches aren't related to this, you know? And I'm sitting here like, you have got to be kidding me. Like it has been the, the biggest uh, eye-opening experience for me was, you know, um, being with my husband while he's been fighting for all of this stuff and, and the constant letters in the mail of, okay, well, you, we, you might not qualify for this percentage anymore. And so we're going to sit there and do this and this. And this I shit you not. I have an anxiety attack every time the VA sends me something. Yeah. Like I was expecting a package. I talked to my doctors like I knew I was getting like lidocaine in the mail. Mm-hmm. And then I got a a UPS like reminder that said I had a package coming the next day from the VA. And I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is this for? Right. <sighs> no, like, it was, does. And it sends like, him into a tailspin, too, because and we had to fight for him as well. Um, and, and let's not get into, cause like whenever he was blown up, the gear, he, it was cut off of him when they were transporting him. So like all of the gear he was wearing, everything disappeared. And so whenever he was going to ETS, they were like, well, this gear is unaccounted for. So you owe us this much money. And it's like, but you cut this off of me while I was, you know, my neck was broken. I couldn't move cause he was paralyzed for three days uh, right. due to the, the spinal contusion. Um, and then, you know, they never gave it back to him. So he had to pay like $8,000, $9,000 for gear that was cut off of him for a service-related injury <laughs> to leave the Army. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, it, it was such, it's such an eye-opening experience yeah. um, when you don't know what happens on until you walk into the house and you see it for what it is. Because I remember, like, outside looking in, it looks like, you know, the vets and all of military people are being taken care of. That's what it looks like. And then you actually step into that house and you're like, oh, my God, there's 88 feral cats that have shit and pissed everywhere. This is this is horrifying. This is terrible. And, you know, it took 
I, I really loved uh, Bob Woodruff's piece whenever he got blown up over in Iraq and he was doing his um, news cycle and stuff. And he, they took him to Walter Reed and he sat there. The journalist recovered in Walter Reed. And he's like, these are horrible. Like there's mold, there's leaking water everywhere down the walls. This is horrible. And it was after he sat there and recovered enough and could actually go on the news and present that story that that section of Walter Reed got shut down and everybody was moved out of that because awareness was brought. And it's like, it's the most disgusting thing in the world to me because you're asking these people to sign a blank check, give of their lives, their families to give of themselves and to support these people, you know, these men and women, whoever they're serving and, you know, the anxiety and the worry and on top of like that, taking care of all of the other things that are going on here because life does still go on. So it's, it's not only painful for the person that's serving, but it's also painful for the families and the kids and stuff who are suffering because they can't get their shit together. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sorry that that ended up being a thing. And it's, it's happened way too many times. Like the VA with my, with my husband's neck, they, um, he called to make an appointment and they called him back like three, four weeks later. Like, okay, we need to reschedule your appointment. We'll call you back with another appointment time and day. He's like, okay. He didn't hear anything for two months. And so then he called back and he got somebody, but they hung up on him. And then every other time that he had called back, he never could get in through to talk to somebody. And he yeah. said, fuck it. And at that point in time, thank God we had private insurance so that way he could go in and get the nerve ablations and stuff that he needed in the cortisone shots but we got way more help in the private sector than we ever got help with through the VA yeah. and it's, it shouldn't be that way it should not work that way so yeah well <laughs> private sector ain't great either turns out no it's not but it's and it's sad it's it's sad to say that that is better than the VA because you know, the private sector sucks too. You know, unless you have, you're paying, you know, you're selling all of your extra organs that you don't need. Yo, and, and the minute and it looks like the private sector is going to have to follow through, they're going to accuse you of lying about it so they can fire your ass. Yep. Ask me how I know. Oh, how do you know? So after, after Intel or after the Navy, right, mm -hmm. I was working at Intel, lower back started catching up to me. And after the fusion, Right. I tried to go back to work twice. Neither time worked out well. Um, I, I left in tears both times. Like it, it needed more rehab. Right. Needed some more time, possibly. But they accused me of lying about it before I could even follow up with my surgeon. Yeah. Before I could even finish my follow ups, I, I tried to go back to work. I couldn't. Uh -huh. And then they accused me of lying about it because my primary care was at Intel. My physical therapist was at Intel. I like the only thing that wasn't like everybody that referred me outside, like to the surgeon was at Intel, not like literally Intel, like inside right. the building, right. Contracted by. Right. So like the minute it looked like I wasn't going to be able to go back to my job, they accused me of lying about it. Everything changed. Everybody, it went from being, oh, we can't wait. Like, we want to help you get better to, um, we don't want to talk to you anymore. There's like, I didn't hear from any of my friends at Intel. I didn't hear from my manager. Like, 
it was overnight, just cut off. And paycheck, insurance, all of it gone. God. And then I and I was still stuck at 30%, right? Which technically right. I'm I'm covered, like my whole body is covered insurance-wise at 30% at the VA, but we're like I lost all my I had just had my fourth back surgery being a fusion mm-hmm. and I'm at 30% disability, right? And I hadn't talked to a single VA doctor after I got out. I had private insurance. Why would I? Right. Right. So right. there were two solid years there of like trying to figure everything out. Yeah. Like, from Yeah. Well, and see, and the, the really crappy thing about it is, is like, because you didn't follow up with their doctors right after you got out, they give you a harder time. Because then they're like, okay, well, this could have been this instead of your service related injury because of this. And, you know, like we had to, um, we, I found, uh, cause we moved, uh, from Plano to North Fort Worth where we're at now. And we had to find a whole new doctor and everything like that. And so when I was looking up doctors for him, like PCPs, I found one that is a vet worked with, uh, you know, sports medicine and does, uh, does the PCP general practitioner stuff. And I was like, oh, we're going to go with this guy because he'll know what he's doing and he'll understand how the system works for the VA and be able to help you. And he has been a godsend because he's been the one that's been like, yes, these headaches are caused by um, your muscles in your neck and everything causing tension headaches. Yes, these nightmares you're having are PTSD related. So he's 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 got her back, which has been very helpful, that's awesome. which we didn't have before. And they were like, oh, your knee's hurting. That's probably just because I you can't even get that at the VA. Are you serious? Like, I'm, I'm like rated 90% and I, st- I can't get that at the VA. Like, yeah. That's ridiculous. From VA doctors. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. So do you channel all of that anger into your writing t- or your drawings too? <laughs> I mean, the middle finger right above me. <laughs> Good answer. Kind of my thing. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. So um, another question, because I did notice, uh, you know, like for, for you guys that don't know, I stumbled upon Mr. Chance like a week ago, two weeks ago, and he's like the best thing ever. And I was like, oh, this guy's live. I like his drawings. Let's watch him. And now oh, I'm like, you. I'm like, now I'm like, I got promoted to mod. So that's pretty cool because I've never modded on TikTok <laughs> before. So I'm like. All right, this is cool. I'm special. But um yeah, like for <laughs> for those that don't know, because I follow him on TikTok, which you guys will too after this, I promise you'll want to, and I will post all of the information up so that way you guys know where to find him and all of that. But um I noticed in one of the questions that were rolling and I don't think you saw it, so now I'm going to ask it because I'm also curious. There is a TikTok video of you taking down your your ribbons, your navy, your triangle box with your navy, your shadow box, and you're putting a painting there. Um, what was that about? So the overturning of right Roe v. Wade and all of the bullshit that's happening, I sacrificed a lot yeah. for this fucking place. Mm-hmm. Um, liberty, freedom, and justice for the chosen has nothing to do with any of it right and i just i'm not gonna keep that shit up i don't want to advertise it i i that is in every single video i make and now it's embarrassing 
Yeah. I well, crippled myself. I crippled myself for freedom for everyone. And only for the ones look that at us. look at us now. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, and that's, the, I like that. And I would, I love that. That's the reason why, because it's a good point to touch on. Um, the last several years has been a struggle. I know for a lot of military members, just because of rhetoric that has been out there and said by um, people who uh, frankly didn't respect their position and power and what that entailed. Um, and then you had January 6th, which I'm going to try not to cry here. <laughs> I get so emotional talking about it, but then you have January 6th. And that is the first time our capital has ever been under attack since the British. And we actually, they never made it inside the white house. And we did. And I'm sitting here looking at this and I'm also looking at my husband and I'm watching his face and he's like, this is not what I fought for. This is not, this is not it. And I gave my, I, he's like, I, I hurt myself. I crippled myself. I am not, I am less of a person than I was years ago, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And this is this most dis disheartening, disgusting display that's not free right you know that's that's not exercising your your freedoms that's treason that's sedition and it's you know and then and then it's just kind of tailspin from there and um he's struggling too like he doesn't want to have his purple heart plates on his vehicle anymore and he doesn't wear his military service on his sleeve anymore and it's not something that he's proud of anymore and it's really sad because it stripped that, that pride, it stripped you guys. And I don't think that that's something that anybody really sees, cares about. No, well, all the people that do that, they say they did it for us, right? I know. And that's the disgusting thing about that is like, oh, you know, we're, and I don't know if it's just that they think that they're, in line with the values of the military and the military members who serve or if it's or what it is um but it's just the most heartbreaking thing i've ever seen so how have you been coping with all of that yourself i make a lot of art um that's like it you know i i take the stand I take and I do the best you know I can with the platform I, I take my medals down in public right if I I have a chance to say something and I can I do other than that I, what can I do I'm fucking right. crippled well, <laughs> yeah you're appreciated though I appreciate, I appreciate it. it thank you I do thank I do you. appreciate you so much so um <sighs> Moving on to lighter things. I love that you take requests from people. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing in the world. Like people are like, can you make this happen? And you're like, yeah, put it in the comments. And I'm like, how are you managing all of this? How So like, how do you manage those requests? Do you have like a list? Do you like have an Excel sheet? Like <laughs> I send everybody to the comments for a reason. If like a request, it's something that I read, right? 
um, if I see it over and over and over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm gonna do a fucking unicorn because I've seen it 900 billion times in my comments. So, like, it doesn't right. matter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I could love it not to see spark your version some of kind a of inspiration. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> your version of a unicorn would be like fantastic. So I'm excited about that one. Yeah. So, um, and other sometimes something uh they seem to come in waves i don't know axolotl for a long time mm-hmm. for a i don't know a few weeks i would see axolotl a lot and it worked its way into the elephant drawing mm-hmm. right the elephant in space um but in all reality a lot of a lot of the stuff i like the one i posted today for the four leaf clover yeah that was done a year maybe <laughs> I, what am I going to do? Some of this stuff takes hundreds of hours. No, I don't doubt that. Like, I right? like, you. and uh, 70% of the people that see the post have never seen me or the post before anyway. Right. Right. So in all reality, also I'm a surrealist. There's a lot of things I can post over and over again. Like, somebody asked for an octopus and I can show them one in a tree. You're right. Or somebody asked for a butterfly and I can show them an octopus. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I can play a lot of games with the requests and answer a lot of different people with, I also have a lot of art, like taking videos of, right. Even the stuff that I've sold, I still have the videos of the art. Oh, that's cool. Right. So I can show it off. Yeah, that's cool. So before you sell, like, before you do, do you sell like um, individual request prints or do you do, um, do you do those individual like, because I know you've got that one that's like one of five, the I one, but yeah. then you've got your prints that are on your website. Um, so you've got those specialty prints where it's just one of five. How much do those cost generally? Like those special Around a hundred bucks or so. The ones that I embellish and, and sign again. 100 bucks shit oh. in, a, in a frame yeah you're amazing like you are amazing and that's like well, the thing is i'd rather get my art out than to get rich right right at this point like i i had afforded i can afford to i worked my way to be able to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. and the minute you do that in america your life fucking changes overnight it does so yeah yeah so like the va Intel, all of that is working out. Good. All of a sudden, um, I would rather get you my art than get rich. Right. right? So, and I think um, that's what I love about your heart. Like you, and I, I want to say that because you and I share a lot of those same ideals and the same principles. And like for me, I've been giving. I like bought a hundred books of my my books that I I bought at like. $5.60 author price um, off of Amazon. But like, I was like, I'm going to, you know, sell these. I mean, I've just been giving a lot to everybody. I'm just like, here, have a book, have a book. I'm like a thousand dollars in the hole like, from like, they just going giving things away to people just because it's part of my heart. And I like making people happy and I like making their day better. I like inspiring them. Um, and it's like one of those things like, man, if I can, if I can do this, then you can do this because if I can do it, you can do it. And 
So that's where I'm at with that whole thing. And I feel like you probably are very similar that, in that too. That's exactly where I'm at. I, I don't know. I don't know. The internet gives such an opportunity like for anybody creative of any kind whatsoever, this little window we have. It's insane. There's 8 billion people. 8 yeah. billion. I know you've heard this before, but like the odds are astronomically in your favor to put it online and find a community of people that will support you because just uh, statistically of 8 billion people, you need a thousand of them to pay you a hundred dollars a year and you make a hundred grand a year. It's like a thousand of 8 billion is statistically negligible. It's zero. So you need zero of 8 billion people to pay you a hundred dollars a year. And if you think about like how easy it is to spend a hundred dollars on yeah. your favorite creator. I was just talking about a print for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I, I, you have to be crazy not to be trying to do this online and you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and know. that's like, I think, and I have to say, I haven't sold many books, but the books I have sold have all been online. <laughs> like <laughs> I've like been pounding pavement, going to shows and things like that. Like I, and, and it's all been Twitter. <laughs> Dude, the art world, the art world is no different. Like they, when I first started this, you know, I, I tried to go the traditional route, getting all my art into galleries and all of that, and getting their noses turned up at me because I was nobody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I had one gallery, Iron Key in, in Phoenix. Um, they put my art in there and like, I don't know. I don't know what it was, the confidence boost or I, I don't know, but. The minute I like started to make things work on my own and now there's galleries starting to come in contact, like to be perfectly honest with you, having the art here at home to be able to like video it whenever I want to, I put on an art show twice a day or yeah. however many times a day I post, right. right? I don't have to wait for every second Saturday of the month to go up there and hope somebody walks by my booth. Right. Well, see, you know? The thing that I love about, because like I know how the art industry works, like the traditional art, you know, you got like the New York, you look like Met and all of this other stuff. And I know how that works. And I know how things are priced. And it's those, you know, super one percenters that are putting that price on that piece and saying it's worth this. And then that's what it is, which it, it like, and right now in the writing world, we're having a big issue right now with a penguin, a random house trying to merge with um, another a publishing house like and these are two big publishing houses merging and it's like it's it's kind of taking the wind out of the sails of the smaller publishing companies and all of these authors that you know it, it's, it's this huge monopoly uh game thing you know like the new york times bestseller list is is just you got three editors picking through books and it's not it's not anything that's really a bestseller it's just a gimmick and that's how I feel that mainstream art is just a gimmick. And, um, and it just puts that money back into those people who, you know, label the price, their pockets. So I'm really. Laundering. Huh? It's all money laundering. Like yes! the big time art. Like you seen the whole banana duct tape to a wall. Yes. Thing, yeah. Right. Like 
I don't know, you say you buy a piece of art and have your friend appraise that piece of art, right? And then you sell that piece of art that your friend appraised, right? Right for the yeah, I don't, it's, it's all money it's laundering. Most, it's, it's the most dishonest, fraudulent system I've ever seen. So I love that you know the thing that brought us Oregon Trail and dysentery uh, brought us the internet and being able to share you know, us little people share our work and find those people and connect with those people and kind of, you know, buck the system, you know, we're like, you know, <laughs> Dude, just the whole thing right here, right? Yeah. We have artists and writers, right? You need covers. Mm-hmm. I make art. Right. You know what I mean? Just like, I don't know. We don't need all of those people. We don't need uh, managers. We don't need representation. Mm-mm. We don't need those people to put us in contact with each other anymore. Like yep. there are thousands of us out there, and all you have to do is put it online and find your community. Right. I don't know. I love the internet. I love social media. Everybody. People talk about. I don't know. Like people's attention spans, right? Getting shorter and shorter. And social media causing it. But if attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, then why the fuck are feature length films getting longer and longer? (laughs) I love that. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Although I felt like I was dying when I was watching Lord of the Rings in the theater. I'm not going to lie. But, and we get, people got so tired of sitting around watching three hour movies. They had to come out with Game of Thrones. (laughs) Now movies are months long. (laughs) But our attention spans are shorter and shorter. True though, but I mean, it's not something that we're not used to. Our attention span's always been short, so these little bursts of things are actually very different. good for us. We don't count. We, we don't, don't count. count. Okay, that works. Because I'm no, saying we're the like, Einsteins. We're the people. We're the people that change things, right? We're the we're the creatives. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's the thing too. Is like if you look at all of the major players in who has brought forth the wonderful industrial revolutions and no we are the only ones historically the only ones that have caused those large yeah yeah and it's it's really crazy because it's a we live in a world where it's built for neurotypical people but it's really the atypical people that push progress and change and uh, it's kind of ironic books right books are the first things that go when it's time for change right like Every single time, books and statues. <laughs> yep. Well, Texas is burning books, but, you know, <laughs> not for the right reasons. <laughs> well, for better or worse, right? Large-scale yeah. social change. It's always the art. It's always yeah, it artists that it cause really it. Is. And it sucks, too, that that's, like, the first thing to go. And that's how it nah. was. Like, art, art, art has to go so you can make room for more. Oh, that's true. I like that way of looking at it. I, li- I like that way. But I'm a big history buff, and I like I like fall down the history rabbit hole all of the time, and so like I, I can see like you know a, a one of a kind statue getting right. destroyed, being sad. I can understand even even some of the really shitty ones. Maybe put them in a museum somewhere for some right. other asshole to look at it somewhere. Right? Yeah, I agree. Right? But public art should reflect the public. I agree. You know what I mean? Like it's got to change. It has to change around. It has to. Well, and that's one thing I like about Banksy, and I think that's why he's so big, is because he does that. He goes around and puts the art that reflects the moment, and yeah. it's so gripping. And I'm sitting here like, we need a Banksy. We, we need one of them's people <laughs> to come over here and do it. So, hey, idea. 
with your little hotel. You guys go do Banksy stuff. It takes hundreds of hours to make this shit. I can't do that on a wall. <laughs> you can find more chalk. It'll be okay. <laughs> but um, no. So let's talk about the color pencil cartel real quick. How's what is that about? So um, I was right right along the the lines of the art world. I couldn't get any kind of help. Right, I was looking for some kind of direction. The minute you start putting your artwork online and somebody like, or trying to sell it or market yourself, your feed on social media is filled with every scammy bookseller or course director on the fucking planet that wants to tell you how to sell your art right? or market yourself or something. And it's all well, I don't know if it's all horseshit or not. It's all super expensive or scammy or you get nothing for it, right? Like, um, and I made several mistakes, right? I did lots of things out of order. Um, I'm trying to figure out my own way, right? And then once I did start to get things in line and figure out how things were actually going to work, I decided I was going to start helping other people do the same thing. That's- so... Um, I I noticed there were lots of people like hurting for art supplies, things like that. So got a bunch of people together. Um, we did some fundraisers and got some art supplies sent out to people. Um, and now I will straight help artists um, one-on-one. Like I'll go through social media and see what they can do to improve or market with, you know, Mostly it's just encouragement. Honestly, all all people really need is that eight billion people speech. Like eight billion. I mean, it's true though. I mean, it's true. You're you're not wrong in any of that. And that's and, and that's the that's the super cool thing. And I think I don't know for you, but for me, because I do that same stuff in the writing community. Like I, I have designed covers and at one point, like he, this guy put me as a publisher. I'm not a publisher. I was like, you can't tell people I'm your publisher because I am not a publisher. But I gave him one of my ISBN numbers. I made his his cover and, you know, got it. You know, we got it all put together. And because he was like, I'm never going to be able to afford. He's living in India. And in India, they don't pay their interns at all. And he was um, working the COVID crisis as a doctor going through medical school as an intern. And he's like, I'm never going to be able to afford. He was living off of 50 bucks a month and then whatever he could pull in with his writing gigs. And he's like, I'm never going to be able to publish. And I was like, you know what? Don't ever say that. Don't tell me you're never going to be able to do something. We'll make it happen. And, you know, and we did. But I'm very much that way, I think, because when I was little, when I was younger, I didn't have that. And I don't want anybody else to feel like I felt back then. I have such a soft spot when parents are like my kids and artists my ear my eyeballs get all like my house gets all dusty you know what i mean like (laughs) oh no yeah (laughs) i have such a soft spot for parents who like support their kids art like not sending their kids to the doctor for it i know and i'm so glad because like it was really touching for like and i will say like whenever my son he was like he's autistic he's level two uh, mild moderate and he had severe speech delay and it makes so much sense now after hearing your story about him being locked up in his head, basically, and unable to talk, that drawing and doing things for him 
that was his release. That was like him being able to express himself. And so I, I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, that's really good. But I was a little freaked out because it was like he was four or five and drawing these like gnarly dark images and things like that. And I'm sitting like, okay, you know, like, am I going to have a Mike Meyer standing by my bed, you know? And so whenever you shared your story with me, I started thinking about my son and I never discouraged it. I was always like, you know, that's really cool. I like how you did this with the lines and the colors or whatever. Um, but it helps me, it helps me better understand him because he still draws dark stuff. And he comes up to me and he's like, look at this, this is my, you know, blood guts worm. And I'm like, okay. And he like cuts it out and makes it a worm and sticks it on the wall. And I'm like, cool, you know, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you, that's great. Um, so, but it's it's really neat to kind of like- Dude, that's so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> dust, is there dust? <laughs> no, there's no dust in here. There's, there's no dust. But, no um, dust. Yeah, but, like, that's one of those things that I'm sitting here, like, you would be really good as, like, you should draw more, you know? Like, if he gets bored, I'm like, you should draw this. And so I, like, bought him, because I know how, um, I bought him a bunch of, like, beginning drawing animal books so it can show him the shapes and how to start drawing faces and things mm -hmm. like that. And he actually loves it and was taking it and then morphing them into, like, his own thing. And I was like, oh, oh that's so cool. I know. I'm really excited. And so, like, when I saw you and then I kind of heard a little bit about your story on one of the live streams, I was like, huh. I looked at Liam and I was like, hey, Liam, you're awesome, dude. Look at that. You're going to be doing this. <laughs> like, in no time at all. Not at no time at all. So, um, they, watch, he's gonna, he's going to bloom, too. With you, like, pushing him, oh, he's going to be so good. Oh, he's going to be so good. I hope so. Like, that's the stuff, though. And I find when you're raised, I'm sure you're the same way when you're raising your kids. You are like, I am overly supportive. <laughs> like, I'm not a hover parent, but I am like, you know, I'm very, I guess, emotionally like attached in the sense of like, share your feelings, share your thoughts. Everything is safe. You've got a safe zone. And I have like with my boys, um, I tell them all the time. I'm like, if you need to talk to me about like anything, you just say, hey, mom, I need safe zone. And then they've got that spit. We'll go to a room and they're by themselves and they can say what they could cuss. They could say whatever it is that they need to say and get it out there. And it stays between me and them. And um, because I guess I never had that safety. And so are you the same right. kind of way with yours? For the most part. Yeah. Mine are so young, right? Um, five and three. Oh, so, so that's a fun. Yeah, age. they are adorable. <laughs> yeah, they are fun, but it's not like the whole safe space and all of that. We're still in the scream at the top of their fucking lungs stage. <laughs> um, My youngest is seven and he's still in You know what I mean? Stage. Like, we don't get a chance for a safe space at all. But We're still trying to moderate, like, whoa, just fucking speak to me. Those, those emotions. Hang on a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's like something, like... I'm a very like big emotion feeler. And I think that most of our kids have my same big emotions that I have. And so I'm sitting here like, whoa, okay. Um, so why don't we do some breathing techniques real quick so I can, we can work through this and calm down and then you can tell me what's wrong. And then, you know, and then I can find out that the dog ate your pancake piece that fell on the floor, you know, like, <laughs> But right. I, I, I was I was curious if that's kind of like the same way that you handle things is just you're like, hang on. That's exactly. I look at my kids all the time. Just 
all the time. Just take a second. Let's yeah. breathe. Let's let's refocus on what what it is we're trying to do here. Right. You can you can stop whining. I'm right here. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to say yeah. that our parents might have gotten things wrong, but I think we're rocking the shit out of this parenting thing. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I think so too. I think, I think, I think we had really great bad examples of what not to be and what not to do that now we're like. That means our kids are going to be terrible parents. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> it's probably true, though. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm like sitting here like, what mistakes am I making? So that way you're going to have like, my mom did Every fucking thing, everything my kid does. Like, I'll see if he's having a nightmare. Like, it's like, shit, did I cause that? Right. Like, did I do something that, like, I know my older one has like anxiety mm-hmm. and panic attacks, and I've I've seen myself cause a panic attack in him, and like, try to figure out what the fuck it is that I did, so I'd never do that again. Like, right. I don't know. I don't know. Did my anxiety start from something that something happened to me? Right, or am I just crazy? I don't know. Well, I don't see, know. I worry. I'm me. causing them. Because huh? I've got, I've got, um, I've got Gad, you know, and so now I'm sitting here like, okay, you know, it took a while and I like, it was really funny because I was having these chest pains. Um, I was pregnant with um, our, my fourth child and well, I've got five, one's a bonus, but um, my last one that I had, um, I started having chest pains and I was like, okay, maybe I need to go to the doctor. So I went to my doctor and they're like, well, let's refer you to a cardiologist. And so I went and had that workup done and they're like, oh your heart's perfectly fine. It's super healthy. Like it has to be intramuscular. And so they, I was still having those chest pains, but the pain would creep up from my chest, up my neck, and then settle in my temple, my right temple. And it would cause my right eye to dilate. So they're like, well, maybe you're having seizures or something. So they sent me to go get a scan in my brain mapped out, not MS, no seizures, nothing like that. And they're like, Oh, okay, this is weird. So they went and took me to like, they were like, go to the ophthalmologist. And so I had like every test known to man done and they could never figure out what was wrong with me. And it wasn't until I was playing, I play world of Warcraft and I was playing with my friends and I was explaining the situation. He's like, have you ever thought about like panic or anxiety disorder or anything like that? Cause it can physically manifest itself in you. And I was like, no, but then I got tested for ADHD and all of that. And then it was like, oh, you've got anxiety. So I went to my doctor with the diagnosis and I was like, could anxiety be causing this? And he was like, why didn't we think about that sooner? Like it was such a simple fix. But I guess because I'd been right. left untreated for so long, it started physically manifesting in really weird ways. And so I, and I was asking myself that same question. I was like, did I always have this? Did I have a very scary traumatic moment? when I was so little, I can't remember. And then that's what did it. And so like, but the thing is, is like, ever since I can remember, it's always been trauma. Like it's always been traumatic stuff. Like I had a security blanket that I would carry around with me. And my mom told me not to carry it around with me anymore. And I was like two or three. And then she ripped my blanket up, threw it in the trash. Yeah. I've had this same security blanket my entire life. Right. I'm almost 40. Yeah. Yeah. It's always right here. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's the I weirdest do. thing. So I'm starting to think that maybe, maybe it's not us. It was some outside force because I would like to believe that no, like babies don't just come out and have anxiety and all of these other issues. I think it's outside force. Right. So, and it just sucks that well, we have to I don't deal. know, but we get the chance to do something about it. 
right? Like, True. imagine our parents, the people that caused it, probably likely had the same shit going on or, and just, like, never even had the chance to deal with it. Right. right? Or... Yeah. So... And we've, we've, yeah, and it's really cool that kids are being raised in a situation now where it's going to be even more knowledge and more support right. and more resources. And I'm sitting here like, you know, I was looking at my sons when they got diagnosed and I was like, you know what? I am so glad you got diagnosed now rather than even 20 years ago, because even then you had yeah. like the only thing you saw with autism was like there's something about Mary where you've got the severely autistic you know, brother of Mary. And that's right. the only kind of autism that was at all seen in the world and understood. So I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm so glad that we live in the age that we do where you and I, it might be later in life, but we're still able to get that help. And then our kids can, right. if they need it, can have that help instantaneously if they need it. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I will let you go. I know it's late and I know you're probably hurting. So from yoga. I had to bless myself. <laughs> so I that is. So, yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> I do Blessings. That's great. I like that. Sprinkling them on or you turn <laughs> spout, your blessing spout. I, when my wife, my wife sneezes, I like wave my fingers at her. <laughs> I tell her you're welcome before she even says. That's cute. That's cute. Like I did that to my husband earlier this, like earlier this evening, waving my fingers like that. But it was for some other completely <laughs> different reason. Like it the, was the Johnny Depp. <laughs> it was um. So like we were talking about guitars and guitar picks, and you know, like those finger picking picks where you know it has like that extra little bit. I didn't know what that was when I was growing up. My dad played guitars my whole life and he had some, he had one of those. And so I would always put it on my finger and I'd be like, I'm a witch, <laughs> you know, like just run around the house pretending like I'm a witch. And so, and so like, wait, I was talking about, I need to go get some of those finger picks. And I was like, Oh, how many are you going to get? You're going to get one for each finger and you can go like, <laughs> and he was just like, you're ridiculous. Go away. And I was like, okay. uh, it's probably one of those brain moments that just didn't need to be said. But you know, whatever. Um, One of those, yeah. <laughs> there's so many of those Childhood moments. Childhood thing that just came up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I'm like, I'm so sorry that exited my mouth. <laughs> uh, my trauma got you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that's really funny, too, because I just wrote a short story piece and I asked him to read it because it's going to be in a, an e-zine called The Dark Purity. And it's basically based on the like all of these stories are based on the obsession of uh, women's, you know, sexuality, uh, women's, you know, what they do with their bodies and all of that. You know, it's like it was instigated because of Roe versus Wade being overturned. And I was like, you know what, I'll see, I'll just submit a piece. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Oh, well, you know, but I just got finished with the revision request. And I was like, my, he doesn't really, my husband doesn't really read my work very much, but I was like, you want to read this piece? And he's like, sure. So he read it. And then he looked at me and he's like, that's gnarly. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. But then I looked at it and I was like, as I was reading this thinking, who hurt you? Because it's like really dark and it's like, and he's like, I, I'm just like, there's a, there's a scene in there where, you know, she gets choked so hard that she hears the only thing she can hear is the pumping of blood in her ears. And he's like, 
I don't know how you even know that. And I'm like, eh, trauma, trauma. <laughs> you know, like, let me yeah. sing my song. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you talking with me and taking the time. Oh, thank you. I know that you have, you oh. know, you usually do lives and stuff, and this took away from that. So I appreciate you. Nah, nah. I went live this morning. I even posted twice today to get ready for all this. So we're good. Big thank you to Chance Hart, who shared of himself with all of us and continues to do so with his art. If you are looking for more information, where you can follow him, where you can connect with him, and any of his artwork that is for sale, please check out the description below. Thanks to listeners like you, Automagination Media is able to continue sharing stories that inform and inspire audiences around the world. If you would like to know how you can help donate to Automagination Media, so that way we might be able to continue doing what we're doing, please check out the description below. This has been an Automagination production. Here at Automagination, you'll find book, film, television, and product reviews, as well as roundtable discussions, current events, and hot topics. We are advocates for equality and the freedom to be who you are, no matter what. Automagination gets its name from autism and imagination, two things that are very important to us. If you would like more information on Automagination and the podcasts that we host on our website, you can visit automagination.org.